This is some of my favorite conjunction of Scripture because David is making it very clear. He's saying that when all of life is out of place, my relationship with God puts everything of life in place. When everything seems to be falling apart, God is really putting it all together. When we don't understand it, God still has a plan. With God, even darkness is a light to us. So when I understand David's writings, and he simply says that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. I think his reference to this passage is showing us that even though I'm in darkness, I still have the light of God in my life. See, because the presence of God in our lives make everything seem different. When someone else is going through hell, we still, as for us, we still look and trust in our God and not allow the part that we go through affect our faith in Him. That's why we use the scripture that says it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. The unspeakable part is what you don't understand. It's so great and this God is so good that even in the midst of the things I don't understand, I still say it's joy unspeakable and it's still full of glory. It's still full of glory. It is important for large corporations to identify their supplies in case of a theft. The property value may be small, but it is important to be able to trace stolen goods and to prove ownership and secure a conviction. In England, the railroad companies have an interesting way of marketing all their ropes, or excuse me, marking all of their ropes. In every foot of it, at the cordage factory, is twisted a single colored strand. This is not much thicker than a pack thread and not noticeable until the rope is cut. But then it furnishes most damaging proof and cannot be removed without destroying the rope itself. Each English railroad company has its own private identification. A pack thread identifies the rope. One, a red pack thread. Another maybe a green and a blue and so on and so forth. But this is done for the rope's private identification. Did you know that all humans have the same genes uh, arranged in the same order? We're all pretty much alike. And more than 99.9% .9 of our DNA sequence is the same. But the few differences between us are all are enough to make each one of us unique in, and one of a kind. God made you different with your own private identification. If we were all alike, then we could only 
be loved all the same. There's just enough difference between us, even though we're so much alike as human beings. There's just enough difference that God says, that's where you have a private identity with me. And I'm glad for this because if we were all alike in every way, we could only be loved all the same way. And I didn't really, really understand this until I had children. When Robbie was born, he was our first child. And we loved him so much. And we couldn't understand how it could even be possible to love another child. It even became more real to me when I had uh, two little girls, which were twins. And I thought to myself, now I've got two to love. They're identical twins. Because when they were little, I couldn't tell the difference between Raina and Coral, and I had to look for the freckle on her neck. But as they got older, they, they gained a countenance about them and a personality about them that I could identify each one of them in a different way. And so when I would love one... For one reason, I would love another for another reason. And now I understand how God can love us so differently even though we're just alike. Because most of us that have been born were born with two legs. Two arms. Hopefully only one head. And when we look at this, we look at ourselves as being so much alike. But God says, no, no, I love you for who you are. You are a child of mine that has been created with an identity. And I will trace you to the ends of the world. And it doesn't matter how much the devil tries to cut you up, tear you down, pull you apart. There's that one little thread. Amen. I hope I'm talking to someone today because you have been fed up and just about ready to give up. But I am telling you, Jesus Christ has come to meet you today. And he's wanting to become a partner in a relationship with you so that you can be loved the only way you can be loved. Yes. We all know that God will come to me and be my comforter in a different way than he's going to comfort you. As private as my DNA is, so is my relationship with my God. This is why I don't like it when people try to impose on me what their relationship is. Because your relationship is not my relationship. So don't come to me and tell me I have to be like you. No, I am Rob Bibb and I'm going to continue to be Rob Bibb. And if I lift my hands different than you doesn't mean I'm lost. And if I dance different than you doesn't mean I'm not saved. And if I'm not going to do the things you do doesn't necessarily mean that God's going to reject me. We need to get this out of the church where we have this idea that everybody has to fit in our little box but God is saying, listen, I want you to come and worship me in the liberating power of your identity so that you can be loved like only you can be loved. Amen.
because if we're not careful, we will lose hope because we allow people to define how we should live for him when the Lord is really the one that we should be concerned about as to asking him, how should I live for you? In Luke, the 12th chapter, 6th verse, it says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Here he is showing us, Jesus is speaking, and he speaks of the value of his creation. And then he also is referencing sparrows, and as small as they are, have value to God. Not one sparrow will fall from heaven that he will not see it. So God says, how much more do you have an importance to him? When you were created in his likeness and in his image was you created. I like that because that tells me that God put himself in flesh. Not just the revelation of Jesus Christ in flesh, but God breathed into us. And we became a living soul. So now when God looks at you and I, he sees a part of him in us. So even though you might be down on yourself, always remember that God is looking to see himself in you and that he will know that I will love you like no one else can love you and I'll be there for you like no one else can be there for you. Why? Because I created you. I put my DNA in you. I was the one that breathed in you. You are, you are, you are, you are to be identified as you and no one else. Hallelujah. I'm glad for this because now I am not qualified by others, but I am qualified by his love. Amen. How many of you have heard the riddle? If a tree falls in the wood and no one is there to hear it or to see it, did it fall? I don't even know why that's an argument. And I can't even understand why people would sit across the table and discuss this as an even, even as an issue. Because anybody who is a Christian would say, yes, someone was there. God was there. Because not one sparrow that falls from heaven goes unnoticed. Not one tree that falls in the forest goes unnoticed. He says, I see it all. Nothing will happen where God will not notice it. That's why it says in the sixth verse, Jesus continues to speak in Luke 12, 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and one of them is forgotten before God? Seventh verse, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I don't know if you have ever tried to do it, but I've never tried to count hairs. But God 
says you're more important than anything. And if I am taking and keeping track of every hair in your head, you also need to recognize how more, much more powerful and how much more real and how much more he loves you, uh, you and I because he wants to put his identity and his love in us where we can then commune with God. You are loved. Everybody say, I am loved. Hallelujah. Man. He says, you're more valued than many sparrows. It was a question to them of self-worth. I need to know how you feel about you so that he can love you as you deserve to be loved. You need to recognize that you're more valuable. You need to see it that you're more valuable than the hairs on your head and the sparrow that falls. You need to see that. It's hard to love someone that don't love themselves. It's hard because they don't feel they deserve to love. And, and many times they scream and holler at you and they're throwing their tamp temper tantrums and, and they're upset because they really don't believe they deserve to be loved. But when you understand how valuable you are to God, then you'll open your heart and say, Lord, I want you to love me. And that preacher up there can't love me like you can. And the people in this church can't love me like you can. But, God, I need you to love me like only I can be loved. You all with me? You are not alone. Out of over 6 billion people on the earth and billions that preceded that, he says, I know you by name. You're not alone. And it says in the eighth verse, also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. I think this is interesting because I believe that God puts himself in us to identify us. But the real question is, do you know or does he know me? Or do I know him rather? Not just that he knows me and that he's identified me, but do I know him? Can you identify? Do I have my own private identification? He's asking in you. Paul made this statement in his identification to Christ in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ. Everybody say, Christ liveth in me. Do we know him? Do we know him as we should? He said that Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We know God knows us, but do we know him is the real question. And you've heard Pastor preach on this recently is that we get connected to church and we get connected to the people and we get connected to the positions until sometimes we forget that there's more to this than the music we played here today and there's more to this than just the ministry and there's more to this than just the crowd. But there's a Christ that says, do you know me? The real question is, he's asking, do you know me? I know who he is, but do you know me? Know me. 
Rahab was a harlot. And the walls of Jericho were going to come tumbling down. But there were some spies that went to her and said to her, you need to identify yourself. So when they went to Rahab's house, they told her that you will be saved, but the rest of the city will be destroyed if you hang a scarlet thread out your window. And if you do, then you need to make sure that all of your family and all of your friends are in your house. Why? Because that is to identify you. And so the men told her that the city is going to be destroyed, but you have to identify yourself with a scarlet thread. Let it be seen. Everyone who comes under the identifying mark shall be saved. If they don't have that mark, it shall be all destroyed. This is why we don't preach that you just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. Because I believed in my wife, but that didn't mean I was married. I had to take action. When it says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you shall be saved. Believing uh, constitute, constitutes action. So if I'm going to believe, I've got to actually move on what I believing, I'm believing for. And someone shout hallelujah. Amen. I need to move forward. And he says, I want to put my identity in you. I want to make sure that when the enemy tries to pull you apart, I will be there at every turn and every situation in your life. Not just breath of God in you, but he wants to be the salvation in you. That's why Jesus says that he was the one that was going to die for your sins. And by his blood, you are saved. Somebody shout hallelujah. Identifying Mark, Christ was delivered to Pilate when he was getting ready to go to the cross. Judas saw that he had decided to that they had decided to kill Jesus, and when he saw what happened, he was very sorry for what he had done. So he took the thirty pieces of silver and coins back to the priest and the elders, and Judas says, "I have sinned," and handed them to uh, those men. And he says, I have, I have allowed an innocent man to be killed. The Jewish leaders answered, we don't care. That's not our problem. That's your problem. You sold Jesus, then you will suffer the consequences. So Judas threw the money into the temple. Then he went out from there and he hanged himself. But the leading priest picked up the silver coins in the temple, and they said, our law does not allow us to keep this money with the temple money because this money has paid for a man's death. So they decided to use the money to buy a field called Potter's Field. The field would be a place to bury people who died while visiting in Jerusalem. And then in Matthew, the 27th chapter, the 8th verse, it says, wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. It was the blood money. And the field identifies 
that while that blood was spilt and that money was put in the field, that this was the money of an innocent man and his blood marks this field. But it identified with something. Blood is a rare fertilizer. And they, they tell me that the bit of ground in Belgium called the Waterloo, which bears each spring a crop of rare forget-me-nots, that ground had a very unusual gardening. Plowed up by a cannon and gunshot, sown deep into men's lives, that blood was spilt there. And ever so thoroughly by toiling and struggling feet, moistened with gentle rain of dying tears, soaked with the red life of men, it now yields its yearly harvest of forget-me-nots. It's blood that was spilt there that identifies the beauty of those that fought for liberty and for freedom. Let me tell you this today, and I'm going to conclude, Sister Raina, go ahead and get on the piano if you'd like. That when he spilt his blood, it fertilized the ground, and it was the red scarlet out of Rahab's window that identifies each and every child of God who becomes a blood-bought child, born again unto salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, it fertilized a great opportunity for people to be saved on the day of Pentecost. And that's when he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's simply saying, this is the moment where you can truly identify with Christ at a cross. Because there's two things you got to understand. That when Jesus breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. But when he fell in the garden, he lost his communion with God. But yet creation was still in him. God looked down at Adam, and he was wondering why Adam would commit such a vile deed and commit a sin and be in direct rebellion with God. So now God created man in his own image and he's trying to figure out why is it I can no longer see myself in Adam? So he says, I'm going to spill my blood. And each drop that falls upon the earth and is soaked into that ground is going to yield. It's the seed that's going to yield an opportunity to put his identifying mark upon the lives of each and every individual. It goes like this. If my children were ever to leave and never live for God, or backslide, well, not never, but backslide, I don't, it never has happened to me, but I don't think I'd quit loving them. But there's something about it when you come back to the family and you understand the value of the home and you understand the value of the relationship and you embrace one another. There's a different kind of love. 
There's a love of appreciation. There's a love of knowing that they're safe. And there's a love knowing that they're in obedience with the home. And, and there's a love there. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. Even though he will love you when you are yet sinners, he still wants to love you out of your sin. And he wants to put his arms around you and say, there's a different love when I identify, when I identify with his blood, he can love me as I really deserve to be loved. I'll never understand that until I bear the marks of his blood. He wants to love us. And these forget-me-nots are simply from blood that was spilt upon the ground. Forget-me-nots are a symbol of you shall never be forgotten. For all of the lives that have died in this plot of ground and all the people that have fought for what they believed in, this ground will never be forgotten because the blood has yielded. Forget me not. That's why in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, 22nd verse says this. And almost all things are by the law purged, everybody say, with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission of sins. You must, you must identify yourself by allowing the blood of Jesus Christ in your life. There's a quote that says, morally may keep you out of jail but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. Morally may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to keep you out of hell. Let's all stand. Private identification. When the enemy tries to tear you apart, just always remember that if you have the blood of Jesus Christ in your life, it will all work for the good of them that loves Jesus.